You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. As we've been going through this series, I am learning that I would be a much better communicator, not so much publicly, but in my personal life, uh, in my relationships, in my work, in the things that I do, I'd be a much better communicator if I, like Jesus, simply asked more questions. Jesus asked a lot of questions. Uh, There are, if I remember correctly, 580 questions that he asked in the Gospels. That is a lot of questions. And what I'm seeing, what I'm learning as we're going through this is, wow, I could be a lot more effective. I I could have better relationships if I asked more questions. I could avoid a lot of headaches if I asked more questions. I could learn a lot more about what others are actually feeling, what others are actually thinking, what others are actually going to do if I would just ask more questions. And so I personally have really uh, tried to, uh, am trying to learn this and take this to heart. Uh, Jesus asked so many questions. And they were life-giving, powerful, profound questions that he asked. We know that when Jesus asked questions, it wasn't for his benefit like I would do. Uh, They were for others' benefit. They were for our benefit. And we've looked in this series, some of the profound questions that he's asked. Uh, We started the series with the question that he asked, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and you do not consider the big honking plank in your own eye? A uh, great question, and we went into that, into that into the depths, and, and uh, a lot to be digested in that. Uh, the other question that we've looked at is, he said, probably the most pro- important question that could ever be asked, who do you say that I am? Do you realize that I am God, the creator of the universe, who left heaven and became a man, and am dwelling among you to purchase your salvation? And if you know who I am, uh, here's another question he asked that we looked at. Well, then what would you ask me to do for you? Fix your car? Really? The creator of the universe? That's what you want? Have a, get a parking spot at the mall? Really? That's what you want to ask God for? What would you have me do for you? Profound questions if we understand who he is. Uh, We looked at then the following week. Which of you, by worry, can grow one inch? Uh, Has worry ever grown you? Has worry ever improved your life? Uh, Why then do you worry? And we looked at, again, in depth of that, such profound questions. Uh, We looked at the question that he asked, do you want to be made well? And we would think the obvious answer would be yes, but we realized, no, it's not always the case. There are a lot of things we don't want to get well in because we like having the excuse of indulging ourselves in various things and we don't want to get well. 
And so profound questions for sure. Uh, the question we looked at last week, why do you doubt? Just great questions. Well, today we're going to be looking at a question that uh, is a little uh, in a bit of a different genre, if you will, a question that Jesus asked. And at first glance, you might go, Dave, why are you t- showing us this question? Why are we looking at it? Uh, it's in Luke 20. Let's look at it on the screens and let's all read it together. This is the question Jesus asked. Read it with me. Show me a denarius, that's a coin, whose image and whose inscription does it have? And to understand that question and to dive into it in context, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 20. And we're going to pick it up in verse 19. Luke chapter 20, verse 19. And let's pray as we open God's word. Jesus, we come before you, and we are just in awe of who you are, your great love for us. Lord, you're amazing that you would leave heaven and become a man to purchase our salvation, that you would write your words in a book and preserve them throughout the eons of time so that we might know you, we might understand you. But Lord, your word is high, it is lofty. It is holy, and we are sinful. Unless you open our eyes to see it, we can't receive. So, Lord, would you open our eyes today that we might receive the wondrous things that are in your law? And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Luke 20, verse 19. And the chief priest and the scribes, that very hour, at that moment, sought to lay hands on him. That's on Jesus. But they feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken this parable against them. Uh, Jesus taught a a parable that was uh, very pointed, uh, and he ends the parable with these words, the stone which the builders rejected is the very foundation stone of all things. And when he taught them that parable, the religious leaders knew that he was talking about them. And so they want to kill him, but they're afraid of all the people uh, because Jesus' popularity was growing so much. So verse 20, so they watched him, excuse me, let me adjust this, falling off my ears here. Uh, So they watched him and sent spies who pretend to be righteous. You might want to underline those words. Spies who pretend to be righteous. That sounds crazy, does it not? They pretend to be righteous and they sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching, pretending to be righteous. Do you want to know something? We've all done it. We've all done it. We've all come to church and pretended to be righteous and sat at his feet and not worshiped him, not received him, not brought our hearts to him. We just went through the motions. We've all pretended to be righteous. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it, when we read it on someone else? Uh, But here they are pretending to be righteous. Why? That they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and to the authority of the governor. Or in other words, 
to Pilate, the governor of Rome, governor of Judea. They want to hand him over to him so that they can uh, uh, get rid of him. Verse 21. Then they, that's the religious leaders, right? Uh, Notice back, if you look at verse 19, we're talking about the chief priests and the scribes. The scribes were those who recorded the words of the Bible. They would rewrite them. There weren't printing presses, so they would rewrite them. They were highly trained. They were highly educated. They went to the best universities. It was a prestigious position. Uh, They were respected in the community. And the chief priests, the high-ranking religious leaders who had large governing authority, they were powerful These are the people that we're talking about. Verse 21, then they, those people, said to Jesus, teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly. You might want to put a little number one right there in your Bible. You say and you teach rightly. That's what they know. You might want to put a little number two here. We know that you do not show personal favoritism. If people have a lot of money, you treat them exactly the same as the person who is homeless. If people are of a high religious institution and a high position, you treat them exactly the same as you do the sinner. Uh, we know you do not show personal favoritism. And number three, you might want to put a three right here, but you teach the way of God in truth. Well, those, if they know those three things, those are three profound things. We know that you teach the way of God accurately. Well, then you should follow him. You should worship him. If you know that he teaches rightly, he's not a respecter of persons. He's not doing things to get things out of people. And you know that he teaches the way of God accurately. You should follow him. You should worship him. But instead, they're sitting at his feet, pretending to be righteous. And they're trying to set him up because they want to kill him. And here's the question they ask, verse 22. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, why do you test me? Very interesting. He perceived their craftiness and he gets into a big argument with them. No, 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 no. That's what I do. That's what you do. That's not what Jesus did. And I want to learn from Jesus. He perceives that they're hell-bent on doing some wicked things, that they're pretending to be righteous, that they're setting things up, and he doesn't argue with them. Instead, what does he do? He asks them a question. How much better our relationships would be If we would pause, if we would think, if we would pray, and we would respond with wisdom. 
Ask a question. Find out where that person really is. Uh, Jesus is amazing at it. Uh, and here's the questions that he asked. Why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Whose image, whose inscription does it have? That's our question of the day. And they answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And render to God the things that are God's. But they could not catch him in his words, in the presence of the people. And notice this. And they marveled at his answer and kept silent. What a shame. They marveled at his answer, but they did not repent. They marveled at his answer, but they didn't say, oh, Lord, please forgive me. I was trying to appear righteous. I came in high-minded. I came in to set you up. Lord, please forgive me. I am wrong here. Lord, help me. They don't do any of that. They come in and they, uh, they remain silent. I want you to know the Lord will call you. The Lord will draw you but we have to come to a spot where we repent. And we say, I was wrong. Lord, please forgive me. They refuse to do that. The religious leaders hated Jesus. To them, Jesus was an outsider. He had no formal seminary training. He did not go to their universities. He did not sit in their schools or sit under their tutelage or sit under their uh, uh, prestigious authority. And therefore, they were jealous of him. When Jesus spoke about God, he spoke with authority. And you say, what does that mean? We read that in the scripture, that he didn't teach like the scribes and the Pharisees, but he spoke with authority. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus spoke about God, he didn't regurgitate some famous rabbi who's on the radio sermon and just regurgitate someone else's sermon. He didn't read a commentary and just come and regurgitate some commentary. No, he was the divine God in human form and when he spoke he spoke first person about who God was and who God is and when he spoke you grew his words were powerful his messages were deep his Concepts were enlightening and profound. And when you listened to him, you grew. You grew as a person. You grew in character. And you grew closer in your understanding and in your relationship with God. You began to know who God was, who God is. You began to know his mind and his heart and his will. This is what happened when Jesus spoke. And as a result, multitudes were getting saved. Lives were transforming. The church was growing daily. And people were following Jesus because they never heard such life-giving words. They said things like, where else can we go? 
You alone have the words of eternal life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Lord, when you speak, my soul feels its worth. When you speak, my eyes are open. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I see things that I couldn't see before. I learn about my own behaviors. It makes me want to repent and not do this anymore. And now walk in this path. Lord, you are amazing. And when you speak, I want to follow you. Bid me to come. I will follow. That's what happened when Jesus spoke. And because of that, the religious leaders were jealous. They hated him. And their jealousy had progressed in their hearts. It is now overtaking them and overtaking their thinking. They're not thinking squarely. They're not thinking with with reason. They're sitting at his feet. And they know he teaches accurately. And they know he has amazing character. And they're trying to kill him. They are standing face to face in the presence of God. The God who they think they worship. And they want to kill him. Crazy. It's amazing what pride and arrogance will do to blind us. And Jesus, uh, they wanted to kill him, but they can't because he had grown so renowned. He'd be grown so popular. He'd be grown so famous that, that there's just masses falling. They can't just off him. And so they come up with this scheme. And they send these spies who pretend to be righteous, the scripture tells us. To listen to Jesus' teaching, to try to trap him, to try to arrest him, to try to execute him so they can live happily ever after as religious leaders. Think of that logic. And yet I know sometimes our pride will cause us to come up with some scheme that is so foolish and yet we can't even see the lunacy of what we're doing. You want to kill this man so you can live on your life happily ever after as a religious leader. Interesting. So they brainstormed and they came up with a perfect trap. The trap? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Let's bring politics into it. And here's the deal. The Romans were already taxing the Jews so heavily that they were drowning in taxes. People were not happy with the current administration. I know you can't imagine that. (laughs) And so they come up with this amazing question. Should we support Biden? And don't think I'm making a political statement here. I'm talking about Human nature, nothing's changed in the eons. Rome was corrupt. And they knew that the Jews were being so heavily taxed that if Jesus said, yes, pay your taxes, then all the people that were following Jesus would go, you want me to follow Biden? Are you kidding? And they would rebel from him. If he said, no, don't pay your taxes, Then they could turn him over to Pilate, have him arrested, 
for causing a rebellion. And either way, they what? They win. Oh, it's the perfect evil scheme. It is a brilliant evil scheme. And so Jesus, they come to him with this brilliant evil scheme, and Jesus asks two questions. The first one, why do you test me? Great question. Why do you test me? Why is that such a good question? Well, think about it. Because if they test Jesus, they will find incredible substance. They will find clear and empirical proof that Jesus is the Messiah. But if they're not going to follow Jesus as their Messiah, if they're not going to make him the Lord of their life, then why test him? It's a great question. I have no problem with you testing me, Jesus would say. But why are you testing me? Because you're not going to follow me anyway. Interesting. I want you to know today, if we will do our research to test Jesus, if we will bring our brains to the table and actually study Jesus historically, biblically, bibli- I can't speak, biblically, <laughs> biblically, historically, biblically, his impact on humanity, his impact on human history, his impact on the nations of the earth. You look at nations that adopt some of the Bible's teaching, some of Jesus' teaching, and they incorporate that into their, into their constitutions. And even though they do it clumsily and sloppily, you just bring it in even a little bit and these nations thrive. You watch nations that go against him and try to push him out and you see the oppression and the the diminishing return and and the the cruel uh, totalitarian reigns that that they employ and, and you just see, wow, I mean, it's evident, right? You look at the calendar And you see that all of human history dates either before Jesus or after Jesus. How in the world? One man? Everything? Jesus is the most powerful, the most influential human that ever lived. He is the most followed. He is the most quoted. He is the most famous He is the most significant. He is the most researched. He is the most loved. He is the most emulated. He is the most wise. He is the most gracious. He is the most profound teacher that the world has ever seen. He is the best leader by far that the world has ever seen. He only led publicly for three years And 2,000 years later, millions upon millions of men and women are devoting their life to following his leadership. His leadership is so good. You walk in his ways and your life works. You rebel against his ways and your life crumbles. And test him, please. And you will see 
He is the Messiah. But here is the question. Why would you test me if you're not even going to follow me? Test me, please. I want you to know the Bible never asks for blind faith. God did not give you a brilliant mind so you could have blind faith. When, God, when Jesus says, I want you to have the faith of a child, he's not talking about your intelligence at that point. He's, not ta- he's talking about a, fa- a child's dependence on its father, on its mother. That kind of faith. That is fully dependent on its parents. He's not talking on, 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 on intellectual faith. No, 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 no. God gave you an incredible brain. For the sole purpose of knowing him. Test him, please. Jesus would say, take on my ways and learn of me. And here's what you will find. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I will bring life to your soul and life abundant. Study the Bible to test Jesus. Study the Bible and we will discover in the volume of the book it is written of him. From the first page in Genesis to the last page in Revelation, it is all about him. He was foretold from the beginning. It was his plan and it's his doing. The whole Bible is about him. He was prophesied centuries in advance with exquisite detail. Study. Show yourself approved. Take a look. You will see he's the Messiah. But again, why would you test him if you're not going to follow him? If you're not going to obey him? If you're not going to worship him? It's a really good question. Why would you come to church if you're not going to make him the Lord of your life? What are you doing here? Go surfing for crying out loud. (laughs) But come here to see his face. And your life will be transformed. You will behold something magnificent. And man, I never tire of getting a glimpse, just a glimpse of who he is. He asks a profound question after he says, why do you test me? He then says, look at a denarius, look at a coin. Whose image is on the coin? Sorry. They answered and they said, Caesar's. And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give to God what is God's. What a brilliant answer. I have a picture of a denarius, uh, the very denarius that they would have pulled out of their pockets at that day. Uh, This is a Roman denarius with Caesar Augustus on it from 27 BC to 14 AD was the time when those were circulated. And on that coin, it says, Tiberius Caesar Augustus. Son of the divine Augustus, chief priest. 
On the back side of the coin is a uh, goddess of peace. And uh, that was uh, what was on the coin. And Jesus would say, whose image is on that coin? Render to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. And render to God that which belongs to God. What a profound question. Caesar created coinage in his image. In his likeness. And Jesus is doing something here. He is asking a question to get us to be thinking. Whose image is on that coin? Well, it's Caesar. Well, then render to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. But here's the greater question. Whose image is on you? Render to God the things that belong to God. Jesus was trying to take these religious leaders that were trying to get their identity from their position. And he was reminding them, no, 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 no. You are Imago Dei. You are created in the image of God. And your identity is in him. What does it mean that you were created in the image of God? Well, it is multifaceted because God is multifaceted. God is so far beyond anything that we can understand with our finite minds, but we were created in his image. How so? Well, many ways, more than we can talk about here, but let me rattle off a few. Your heart was created in the image of God. Because God is a being who loves relationships and puts the utmost value on love and non-controlling, adult-to-adult, intimate, personal relationships. And you have a heart that longs for those things. You have a heart that longs to be known because God wants to be known. You have a heart that longs to be cared for and and loved because that's who God is. God is love. And you have found in your own life that life really isn't about all the, life is really good when, when I'm invested in deep, meaningful relationships with others who are important to me and, I, and they love me and I love them, that's because your heart was created in the image of God. Your mind was created in the image of God. God has given you incredible capacity, as I already mentioned. You are the top of God's food chain. All the animals were created for you. None of them have the capacity to know God. But you, he made with incredible brilliance. You can create amazing things, and you do. I look at how you gals decorate for the women's Christmas tea. I look at how you decorate your homes. I look at how you men build homes. I look at how what man has accomplished the, the technology that we have, the things that we, we're, we're creating AI right now, and we're looking at where that's going to go. We have made incredibly 
Why? Because you have a creative mind. I look at your artistic abilities, the band who sings, the, uh, the painters who paint, the, the sculptors who sculpt. And the, why? Because you have this mind that is made in the image of God, Imago Dei. Why did God give you such incredible capacity? One reason, one reason only, that you might know him. You have an IQ, a brain so complex that you can ponder things that are outside of the physical realm. You can actually ponder life after death. You can actually ponder eternity. You can actually ponder a spirit God who doesn't have a body. And you can ponder the meaning of life because you were made in the image of God. You have a soul that will live forever because you were made in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And this my heart knows full well, the Bible would say. Whose image is on that coin? Whose image is on you? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And render to God the things that are God's. Wow. What a question. What an answer. How do I render these things to God? What is he looking for? Well, the Bible is really clear. Jesus told us, I want you to love me with all your heart that was made in my image and with all your mind that was made in my image. And the order is important. With all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your, what? Strength. The order is important. With all my heart that I might know this God who loves me. That I might receive his love. Because I only love him because he first loved me. And you only love him because he first loved you. He's the originator. We are the receiver. And now that my heart has moved, it will then motivate me to go, oh my gosh, I've never been loved like this. Now I want to know a God who loves me like that. And I will begin to test him. I will begin to study. I will begin to search. I will begin to look at to know his ways, that I might love him with my, with my what? With my mind. First, my heart is moved. Then my mind is engaged. Why? Because Jesus knows your mind doesn't make the decisions of your life. Your heart does. You follow your heart. The mind follows the heart. And when the heart is moved, the mind will follow. And then once we learn him, then love me with your strength. Then I will actually love him the right way. Instead of being a religious leader who is actually trying to kill the God who created me as he stands in front of me. Only then can I love him with my strength. And so here we see this profound teaching that Jesus gives. 
And I would ask you this morning, what are you rendering your life to? Whose image is on that coin? Whose image is on you? Render to God. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God. What are you rendering your life to? Your job? Money? Pleasures? Surfing? Let's assume for a moment. Let's just assume that God is real. And let's assume for a moment that the Bible is real. And let's assume for a moment that the whole enchilada is real, that Satan's real. And let's assume for a moment that the spiritual battle is real, that there actually is a spiritual battle between good and evil. Let's assume just for a moment that's real. And let's assume for a moment that eternity is real. Let's just assume. What would Satan's goal be if all this is real? Well, Satan's goal would be to diminish our affiliation with God. I know as a dad, one of the best things I can do is make sure that me and my kids are close. Because when we are, their life goes better. And when I haven't seen them for a little while, I need to make, start making some phone calls. I need to make sure we're together, right? Satan knows that you remove them from their relationship with God, that things begin to fall apart. And so he does some things. Well, you can believe in God, that's fine. Just don't believe in a personal God. Be a deist. Yes, there's a God, but he doesn't care about you. And from there, we can quickly move into, well, you were not really created. You're just the product of your parents. And they're just a product of their... And you know what? They even just evolved from slime. And once we get there, then we have to realize, well, you really have no greater purpose, so just feed your lust. Whatever your lusts are, just feed them because there's no greater purpose. Let's eat and let's drink for tomorrow we die. And who cares if I break a woman's heart? I want to have sex with a lot of women. And who cares if I ruin my family? I want to go out and get high. And who cares if I do that? Who cares, man? I just want to gratify my lust. And then... You're lost. Doesn't change eternity. It just changes your eternity. And what happens is, is we begin to be brought away from this Imago day. We begin to forget. I found it interesting. I saw an article on uh, uh, people that are, gals that are caught up in human trafficking, sex trafficking. Uh, here's a picture here. Uh, the, the pimps that, 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 that gosh, it's so sad. Uh, they actually tattoo them with their name or their logo or their brand on this woman. This is from the Los Angeles Firemen's Relief Association. It says, another strong uh, indication that a person you are treating as a possible victim of human trafficking may be, and it goes on to talk about these tattoos on their skin. 
And here you can see these marks that are on these girls. Uh, and that is the mark of their pimp. Uh, they are property. Why are they doing this? Why do these pimps do this? What are they trying to accomplish? Well, they're trying to accomplish something. Every time these young girls look in the mirror, they slowly lose their real identity, a mago day, and they slowly begin to become something less than they actually are. And that mark actually does something to their psyche, to their spirit. And can I tell you something? Buckle your seatbelt. Satan is trying to do the same thing to you and to me. He said, come on. I want you to know. Every young woman who's not caught up in human trafficking, she is trying to get her, uh, she has, let me rephrase it. She's facing tremendous temptation to get her identity from her what? Appearance, from her being sensual. Every article of clothing she buys is with sensuality in mind. Every social media post she posts is with sensuality in mind. Do my, does my butt look good in these jeans? Does this make me look this way? Everything she thinks, every date she goes on, and you know what's happening? She's losing her real self. It's not just women. Men want to be branded too. We buy watches. We buy cars. We buy clothes. We buy Harleys. We try to climb the corporate ladder for recognition. We try to accomplish amazing sports feats for recognition. We climb for this title, CEO. <laughs> We're Plumber Bill. And we put Plumber Bill on our shirt. And we put Plumber Bill on our car. And we build our company Plumber Bill's Plumbing, and we get advertising, and we make everything about Plumber Bill or Dr. Dan, and everywhere we go, it's not, hey, Dan, no, no, it's Dr. Dan. Really? What's happening? We are tattooing ourselves, and we are losing our Imago Day. Whose image is on that coin? Whose image is on you? Render unto God the things that are God's. Amazing. Jesus constantly reminds us that our identity is in God. God created us for himself. We are his workmanship. We are a mago Dei made in the image of God. And this means that we have great worth and intrinsic value because God values us. 
God made everything in the earth, all the animals, all the plants, said, Adam, Eve, rule over it. Mankind, it's yours. But I have made you for me. And my image is upon you. I have chosen you. I have loved you. You are my delight. And I want you to know that is what makes us incredibly valuable. I, um, uh, I, did you watch the movie, Toy, the cartoon Toy Story? Uh, in the movie Toy Story, uh, there was one thing that the toys really want, right? They want to belong to who? To Andy. And if they have Andy's name on them, it doesn't matter how worn and torn they are. It doesn't matter how ragged and tagged they are. It doesn't matter how beat up they are. If they are Andy's, they have worth. They have value. May I tell you, that is a picture of God in you. Your value does not come from what you do or how polished you are. Your value comes by the owner who has put his value and affection upon you. In the Song of, Sol Song of Songs, there is a great verse that I absolutely love. And it says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Uh, have you ever read the Song of Songs? How many of you have read the Song of Songs? If you haven't read it, it is spicy, man. It is spicy. Uh, I mean, it is R-rated. I mean, it is like steamy, steamy. Uh, you know what it's about? It's about King Solomon. This king who is the strongest, wealthiest, most powerful, most influential man on the planet at that time. He is the king of all Israel, and Israel is the king of all kingdoms. It is the strongest nation on the face of the earth at the time. And this powerful, rich king, he has more money than, I mean, he makes Jeff Bezos look broke. Literally. To go and blow a million dollars in an afternoon would be nothing for Solomon. That's the kind of money he had. And Solomon falls in love with this little Shunammite girl who just so happens to work in the vineyard. She's not royalty. Of all the girls that Solomon could have fallen in love with, he falls in love with this little Shunammite gal. And she's embarrassed of herself. She says, oh, I'm sunbeaten. I'm out in the field all the time. I'm dark. I'm tan. Uh, to us, that's great, right? But back then, it was like royalty was like you didn't go out in the sun. You kept yourself white and no skin damage. And, and, and she says, I'm, I'm tan and, and burned in the sun. And, and she can't believe that this king has set his affection upon her. And this romance develops. And they become hot and steamy for each other. And it is all she can do to not just give herself to him. And it's all he can do to not just ravage her and take her for himself. And to, to just consummate this union. And they're waiting for this wedding day that's coming as this bond of love is drawing them together so strongly that they can barely keep their hands off themselves.
Off each other, I mean. Uh, <laughs> that didn't come out right. <laughs> but it's this incredible love story. And now say it with me. I am my beloved's. And my beloved is mine. But I want you to know something. It's not a story about Solomon. And it's not a story about a little Shunammite girl. It's a story about Jesus and you. And even though he's the king of the universe and he owns everything, for some reason, he has set his affection on this little peasant who has captured his heart. And he is consumed with him. And he wants you. And he's longing for you. And he's pursuing you. And he has all the royal splendor of the kingdom to divulge and just bless you with. But he can't do it until he knows that you love him for him and not the kingdom. Wow. What a Bible. What a book. What a God. What a Savior. And this is a story. The title of this story, what is the title? The Song of the Song of All Songs. It's your song. It's my song. It's our song. The Song of Songs. Wow. Amazing love. How could it be? Take out a coin. Whose image is on it? Now look at yourself. Whose image is on you? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. We are prone to think that we have to earn God's favor and acceptance. And that's a problem because I am painfully aware of how blemished I am, of how flawed I am, how messed up I am, even this week. Oh, I could rattle off a list of all the things that I've blown it in one more time. And so I'm prone to think that I have to earn this favor of this king. But God's own words tell me, and God's own actions show me, that he has set his love on me, not because of my goodness, but because of his goodness. And not because of my beauty, but because of his beauty. And God values you, Andy, and that's what makes you valuable. Do you understand? And so we have tremendous worth because we are his. And I'm no longer then trying to seek worth from being the best religious leader and having the biggest following and the most people in the chairs because that's where I get my identity. Well, then you have fallen from grace. And that's what happened to the religious leaders who were standing before him. It's not a religious robe that you're made in the image of. It's in creator God that you're made in the image of. Now give to God the things that are God's. Maybe you don't feel like your life is valuable to God. Maybe you've wandered quite far from God. Maybe you are alone. 
Maybe you are doubting God's love for you. Maybe you are wondering if God is even there. Maybe your life has become messy. You're just looking at it, and man, everything you touch, it just falls apart. You buy a stock, it goes down. You get a job, the company goes bankrupt. You get a girl, uh, she goes after another guy. Uh, you buy a puppy, it bites you. I mean, <laughs> and you go, man, nothing works out for me. I doubt God even loves me. You're broken. You're wondering why nothing works out for you. Others seem to be so blessed. Maybe God loves them, but me, I'm struggling. I don't think God loves me. I want you to know something. You're struggling because you've wandered from God. But I want you to know something. God is pursuing you. And here's the next question that I would like to look at, and, and uh, we won't spend a long time on this one. Don't worry. You're like, oh my gosh, that first question took 45 minutes. You got another one? Uh, here's another question. Uh, let's bring this Matt and thank you. Uh, let me hear you read this question. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? Great question. Great question. Jesus is seeking you. And yeah, I understand, man, you're going through some hard times, but I want you to know you're here, and here's why. Because Jesus has a message for you. You're made in his image. Quit trying to get your identity from other things. Quit trying to get your worth from other things. Surrender and come and receive his love for you. And watch the abounding fruit in your life begin to blossom. What do you think? If a man has 100 sheep, is he going to leave and, uh, the 99 and go after the one? Absolutely he is, because he's a good shepherd. It's him pursuing you right now. He said, I don't know about that. I came here today. A friend invited me. He paid me 20 bucks, told me he'd buy me lunch and coffee, and I don't have any money because I'm really falling apart, and so I came. <laughs> Welcome to the kingdom. <laughs> this is how God pursues this is how he works. Jesus is seeking you. You know why? Because he's the good shepherd. There's a verse in Psalm 23 that I so love. Uh, I've meditated on it so much. It says, he leaves, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake? What does that mean? For his name's sake as the good shepherd. He leads me in the right paths. Not for my name's sake, for his name's. He's just a good shepherd. And he's pursuing you right now. Jesus seeks high and low to redeem those who are lost. And he is seeking high and low to seek you right now. I want you to know not all shepherds are that way. There are a lot of shepherds who say, hey, I got 99. I don't care if one's missing. I'll go get 99 more. And they don't care for the individual worth, the value of an individual. Not so with Jesus. He would go on and tell parables like, there's this really poor woman who has no money and she loses the coin. And she sweeps the house clean. 
And she just turns over every shelf and every everything until she finally finds that coin. And you know what Jesus was doing? He was telling a story where he reduces himself to a poor and broke widow who is desperately looking to find one coin and you are that coin. He will seek high and low to redeem the lost. And he's coming after you. And I want you to know throughout human history, God has always been this way. This isn't the New Testament God, as if there's two different gods. There's always been one God, and he has always been the pursuing God. At the beginning of time, with Adam and Eve, Adam sinned and rebelled against God. And guess who came pursuing who? Adam? Interesting. Adam sins, and what does God do? He asks a question. Adam, where are you? It wasn't because he didn't know. It was, so, it was because Adam didn't know where he was. Four thousand years ago, four thousand years ago, God pursues Israel, and He pursues, and He pursues, and He pursues Israel. Yeah, His name was Jacob. He was a schemer. He was a squirmer. He was a wheeler dealer. He was a charlatan. He was one who was always just trying to make, just scam every deal for his benefit. And God pursued him his whole life. 2,000 years ago, Jesus pursued you on the cross. And today, he's doing the same thing again. He leaves the 99 and he comes after those who are lost and he wants to find you. How much does God love us? How far is he willing to go for us to redeem us? We find out by looking at the question that Jesus asked in the Garden of Gethsemane. Take a look at this question. In the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that his crucifixion was at hand, knowing that he was going to be beaten, that he was going to be whipped with a cat of nine tails. A cat of nine tails was a long leather whip with a heavy weight at the end embedded with shards of glass and bone uh, that when you were whipped, it would come in, it would grab chunks of flesh, and meat would fly on every whip. He had all of his skeletal muscles and skin ripped off his body. And on the night that he was betrayed and arrested, he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he said this question, my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. Jesus proved that. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. And even when Judas came with a detachment of troops by the, the hundreds who came with all the weaponry of the day, state-of-the-art weapons, lanterns and torches and spears in the middle of the night coming after him, Jesus stops and says, 
Ask a question. Who are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And they all fall over backwards with all of their weapons. Why? To give them a chance to repent on what they're doing and to show you and I, no one takes my life from me. One angel could wipe out all of Rome and Jesus could have, take, could have called on myriads of angels. What shall I say? Save me from this hour? For this purpose I have come, Jesus said. This isn't an accident. I planned this out from the beginning of time because I knew you'd be wayward. And I want to do everything I can to restore you to myself. And after I've restored you, you'll understand my love for you far greater than if you never fell. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? They're going to put a bag over my face. They're going to punch me in the jaw. They're going to give me black eyes. My face will be so bloodied, so beaten, you won't even be able to recognize me if you knew me before. You won't even know who I am. They're going to take all the skin off my back. They're going to pierce my hands and my feet. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Upon a, above all that, I'm going to be on a cross. And for the first time, there will be a break in the Trinity when the Father turns his face away. From God the Father, turns his face away from God the Son. Oh, I'm deeply troubled. Well, what will I say? Save me from this hour? Not a chance. It's for this purpose that I came. How far, how far will God go to redeem you? Whatever it takes. He's proven it. He's shown it. And he's pursuing you now. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.